0: Welcome to Campfire Convos in the Play Connection on the Clubhouse audio platform. Campfire Convos is a weekly discussion led by Jonathan Pampel, one of Mastermind Adventures Professional Dungeon Masters. Mastermind Adventures is a team of creative professionals dedicated to conquering isolation and loneliness by building community through play. This is an informal conversation with folks who facilitate, design, or play tabletop role-playing games. Join us live every Wednesday.
1: Okay, so let's let's get started. I mean, uh, hi, I'm John Pampel, Pro GM with Mastermind Adventures. And I'm here with Ali Selintic. Hi. And uh, we have a bunch of folks here today that want to talk about uh, women in tabletop RPGs, and I'm pretty excited. We've got uh, we've got Rebecca Hausman with Venture Forth D&D. Hi there. Uh, Kelly Tran, uh, I, you're a game designer and founder at Evolved Play. That's correct.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Hello, hello.
1: And uh, Kristen Kalina, uh, founder and CEO of Mastermind Adventures. Uh, uh, Ali and my uh, my boss. Hmm. So, if anybody else wants to come there up on go. stage, hey, just raise your hand. We'll get you up you here. You've
3: got to introduce Bree. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm sorry. I thought it went without saying, Bree. Brie is my wife. She's a graphic designer and uh, tabletop RPG uh, enthusiast along with other things.
2: I like to play games.
1: And that's why I married her. Adorable. So, uh, let's, let's get this, uh, kicked off. I mean, like, does anybody have anything to say or anything to, uh, to plug before we like get into the actual discussion here? All right. So, uh, I'll just get us off with like, uh... I don't know. Maybe it's an easy one. Uh, at least it's the first question that I thought of whenever I was thinking uh, whenever I was uh, pondering what we were going to do in this particular room. So, tabletop RPGs were mo- almost exclusively the realm of awkward nerd folk like me, like, you know, back in the day. Like, uh, I'm not saying everybody, I'm saying that we were quite prevalent in the fan base. And it's helped a lot of us learn to if not if not become a social butterfly, but to ad, at least adopt a persona that handles social situations better than the, uh, the original. Has anyone seen this effect in tabletop RPGs have on the more introverted among us? Uh, why do you think that happens?
3: I mean, I can say that I, uh, when I first started playing RPGs in college, was extremely introverted to the point of having basically no friends all through high school. Um, and our like playing RPGs really helped me to open up that side of me that was more eloquent and more confident about like speaking my mind. Um, I wouldn't be where I am today without uh, without that. So um, I think it's a, a a really good thing. I mean, I've seen. I don't necessarily want to like dominate the uh, the topic, but um, I've. Uh, helped create and run games for um kids who are on the spectrum or who have difficulty with social skills and the change in them even over the course of like six to eight adventures is amazing i think rpgs can kind of do almost anything that you want to do Um, a friend of mine who's a uh, social worker says that um When you, the brain can't tell the difference between playing something and doing something. So if you pretend to be a confident person, uh, your brain is actually being trained to be confident and, and make you a confident person. Um, And I think that's one of the greatest things about RPGs.
4: I think, I think that's right. And then I think also because there are rules, um, it allows people to socialize in a way that they might have difficulty in other ways. Um, we all decide and choose before we sit down what rules we're going to follow with each other, and that guides our interaction. Um, so I think it does make people feel a little bit safer um, to explore different facets of themselves.
2: We were just, I was just talking about this the other day, and how when you're playing the game, when you're playing as a, as a player in a tabletop game, you experience what you go through in the first person, not in the third person. So it kind of, uh, I could see on the development side where you're learning and you're, you're kind of teaching yourself through these games.
0: Yeah, they actually, it's the, the term for that, uh, Brie, is, is called bleed. Um, and Sarah Lynn Bowman uh, is the person who who uh, actually invented the term uh, or gave a name to it. um, And it's something that happens in all types of role playing games, um, whether they're live action or in person um i sorry. i mean uh, tabletop uh but there's there's always uh, an aspect of it that feels like it's you that's going through it so there's definitely a transference there um sorry my dog is barking um <laughs> but it, i think that it uh, you know for us it's something that we've we've used with intention um as we've designed different programs uh whether it's for you know kids or therapeutic uses or even for uh for corporate uh, team building um, uh, we try to lean into that and and use it with a lot of uh, of purpose uh,
1: it's it's a method that works. Like role play is it featured uh, like I was in the military for a while in, in intelligence. and uh, role play featured heavily in our training on how we would interact with folks. Like we went so far as to like larp things on uh, like we'd go through scenarios on how things would go and meetings with sources and stuff like that. And it it really does train your brain, and gamifying it makes it even more understandable for me like to cut things up into like doable bites uh, before I actually go and do the thing.
3: Yeah, I honestly think that's the, one of the amazing things about RPGs is just the way it can affect like every part of your life and Uh, really bring people into being like the person that they always wanted to be, uh, which I know sounds very like kind of twee and uh, optimistic, but um, like I've, I've met some of the best people that I know through RPGs um, just by walking into game stores and striking up conversations. Um, I've seen uh, kids and teens that I play with go from uh, incredibly shy, incredibly um, withdrawn uh socially awkward and and just your typical shy kid and they become just wonderful human beings who are so so much more creative and so much more um just almost alive um it's it's just really it's it's really great um i could talk forever about this but i will not (laughs)
1: i know the answer to this question already but is it usually you running the table or do you like being among the people like are you do you like being a player uh in these situations
0: uh well actually i am not a dm uh i i get to manage uh you awesome talented humans but um i myself have only been a player um so but i do think that there's got to be some of that that transfers over to to running the games as well
2: yeah i feel like i get different things out of playing and uh and running the game um i feel like running it scratches some kind of itch for me that uh i didn't know i had until um i, I started running games uh, i actually really enjoy it and uh, it reminds me a lot of class prep, actually, um, like when I was running games and also uh, teaching at the same time, like the weeks when I was like, yeah, I can't get it together for, <laughs> you know, the D&D group this week was when I had a lot of class prep to do, because you really do have to kind of think about um, how you're going to be guiding your players and, um, you know, thinking about the possible scenarios, but it also forces you to be so spontaneous and so reactive to Uh, what everybody is doing, you know, I think it's a it's its own skill set, where you're going to be playing a bunch of different roles, and you're going to be exploring a bunch of aspects of not just your personality, but you know, potential personalities that you might come up with. Um, And it's, I think, uh, uh, takes more out of you. But I always feel like great after you know, it's uh, I I get this kind of like, high after I do it, Um, just feel really, really great some kind of dopamine hit from uh, from running games, for sure. But, you know, often <laughs> as a player, right, you know, just being able to show up is like, man, I am chillin' right now.
1: <laughs> well, same. Like, I, does anyone use, uh, does anyone else use tabletop RPGs as a sort of creative springboard? Like, something about gamifying things helps me, like, break up my creative endeavors into, Uh, little bites like I was talking about earlier and TTRPGs have kind of helped me go and do bigger things like write books or whatever, you know, like uh, doing something that takes forever. Like if I gamify, it seems more manageable.
3: I definitely find that. um, uh, I don't do much in terms of like um, I guess writing down my what happens in my games, like a lot of people do. Um, I've always aspired to do that, but I can never get it together long enough to prep for a game, run a game, and then write down what happens. Um, but it definitely helps me to kind of, um, I guess, drill down into like specifics. Um, having having to tell stories that are so character focused, um, because the players are the ones who are there to have fun and they're there to, you know, experience your story. Um, I think it definitely like the the improv that you have to do to keep up with what the characters are doing reminds me a lot of writing a novel. Um, I used to always say that like, and I, I think a lot of authors um, and GMs think the same way, but um, when, you, when you're writing a novel, sometimes like you have a story in mind and then the characters just go off and do something you didn't expect them to do. And you have to kind of scramble in your own mind uh, to make the story fit around that. And I mean, running a game is basically just that. You have no control over the players and what they do and their characters are just gonna do whatever. Uh, so I think that definitely helps to kind of prepare you for those unexpected twists and plot when you're writing something. Um, it's also definitely helped me um, do stuff like uh, like write, write down actual adventures that I wanna run and like um, kind of prepare them for publishing and uh try to figure out all of the little tweaks that you need to do um it it's funny because um a lot of people dislike um pre-written modules and like campaign paths and stuff like that because uh they are eventually you end up off the track if if you have a gm who's willing to kind of move with you because the person writing it can't possibly predict what the players are going to do um so i think also that writing adventures like that also helps me to uh prepare for what the players are going to do and have a couple of things in mind and uh kind of not be so focused on getting players or characters or whatever to the end point and more enjoying the story as it happens
2: yeah to me it kind of makes you hold your creativity loosely uh so instead of You know, needing to have a tight grasp on on what you want outcomes to be, or or what you want things to look like, right? To me, that's one of the great things about TTRPGs is, uh, you know, you're being creative together, you're telling some kind of story together, um, and you know, giving yourself sort of over to that process is is I think really constructive toward uh, all forms of creativity, um, right? You're practicing sort of uh, resting away some of that control or, or, you know, um, uh, sort of spontaneously coming up with stuff with other people. And so, um, the collaborative nature of it is, uh, I find really enjoyable.
1: So are your players like your best sounding board that you've got? Like uh, whenever I try to write a plot for something, Like, like, like Ali said, like your players are doing something else. Maybe that means they want to focus more on their characters. Or maybe that means that they think the story is going a different way. And I always find myself learning from my players more than really I'm uh, expositing on my on my settings I've written.
4: I only play, but I tend to agree most of our storytelling at the table is completely character driven. And while it matters where we are because that affects the story we can tell, um, each individual character is really, is really driving forward with their own motivations. And, and that's what's, what's so exciting. Um, I don't novelize our story, but I think it's, it would be very simple to novelize most. D and D or TTRPG games um, by virtue of how the players interact with each other. And I do know some some people, my partner included, who um, when he does write, sometimes he'll just bring a d20 out with him and he'll roll it to kind of help him determine what happens next in his story. Not necessarily a choose your own adventure, but kind of you know what I could go in two different directions. Which which way do I want to do? How do I want to do this? Um, and that's kind of a fun like you were saying earlier, a way to gamify how you um, kind of approach other creative endeavors.
3: I really love that. That's such a great idea.
4: I wish I could say I do it, (laughs) but I I do not. I try to stay away from writing as much as possible.
1: Okay, so a little little poll around the room. Like who finds themselves being the face of the party a bunch of the times and who finds themselves getting sitting in the background and setting others up for success?
2: I don't think I am allowed to play characters with low charisma scores because I'm always trying to talk people in or out of things. (laughs) And I feel like I've known a lot of players that are like that. You know, every group has one, maybe two. And it's like, if you're like that, you can't turn it off. Um,
4: (laughs) that's what I'm 100% agree.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I always try to not take the spotlight, but I always end up having to, um, I don't know if it's just like the the place that I have in the social circle that I game with, but whenever I'm a player, I, I always say, okay, I'm going to let, there, we have a bunch of new players and I'm going to let them be the, um, the, the, let them have fun. I'm just going to stick in the background. I'll play like a more passive character. And I always end up uh, being the only one who's willing to like talk to people and go out on a limb for things. Uh, so yeah, I'm always the face, but I don't ever really want to be.
4: yeah i agree i find um when i do play characters that i'm trying to make the strong silent type which i'm kind of super against now Um, but you know back when i first started playing i would try to build those characters who were like really cool um but i just found that i couldn't not speak up i have a really hard opinions and (laughs) and i can't let anybody else make a decision apparently (laughs) without giving my two cents um so i often do that and and now i think at our table at the venture fourth table I do, even though I'm playing a child, I do very often um, make my opinion well known. Um, but I think, I think some of the other people at our table are also equally um, loud. So we have a good balance, but I, I, do, I, I, I almost never play a silent character. <laughs>
2: Yeah, i tried to do that once like kind of a strong silent type uh and it did not go well because i realized like i was like i don't know what to do in situations (laughs) like i just did not jive with me at all like i think i found a better balance now because i've deliberately been trying to make characters that are less kind of uh uh face of the party types um so you know that's something i've been working on um just to you know kind of expand my my What I can do in in games, but I've learned not to go to that extreme of like, you know, this person will stand there silently and grunt because it's just so I end up just, you know, not participating because I don't know, uh, I don't know how else to be, I guess, other than kind of ridiculous
0: and it feels really uncomfortable doesn't it like it's like you're trying to play against your own like personality type and it just it feels like you're wearing your shoes on the wrong feet you know yeah yeah
2: yeah <laughs> exactly and i think that's um you know it's maybe better to not try to play completely against type. Uh, You know, it reminds me a little of writing, where, you know, most people, when they start writing, they might have a protagonist that is kind of like them, right, it's the easiest thing to do, that kind of self-insertion. And the better you get at writing, you know, the more you can branch away from that. And and I think role-playing is uh, the same way, although there's something intimate to me about role-playing a character, where there's always gonna be, I think, a little bit of you in that character. And I think that's why, as you said, Kristen, it's like almost physically uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to try mm-hmm. and like really break out of that if, it, if it's really against your kind of inclinations.
4: It's actually part of what makes me so nervous about having, you know, a podcast that is recorded of a TTRPG game because when you start thinking like, well, how do we build that next character? When you bring so much of yourself to the one you're playing now, you're like, okay, well now I have to... I guess play against type or how do I find some other way to play this that that doesn't just ine- inevitably fall back into my habits. Um, so it's it's interesting. It's like practice at, at um you know, building new, different characters.
3: I, if I can anecdote for a moment, um, uh, I my my husband um, before we were married and uh, pretty early on in our dating was asked by a bunch of friends to run a game. Uh, they had never played any sort of uh, role-playing game whatsoever, and there were like seven of them. So he asked me, he's like, can you please come and just like make make like the cleric and and just be like another person there who knows the rules so you can help them make characters and like move the story along? And I was like, sure, why not? Um, and that character, uh, I ended up making like a very, ser- I was like, I'm going to play this character totally against type. I'm going to play a serious lawful, neutral cleric of the God of like wealth and cities. And uh, she's going to be very like quiet and like rigid. And um, I ended up loving playing that character so much that when we started the second like season of the game um, after like five years of playing uh, and we were playing like the children of our previous characters, I made I made the child of my cleric and I was like, this time I'm going to actually play someone who's charismatic and who likes to talk to people and who is like the um like the face of the party and who's just loud and boisterous and i almost miss the other character because she was such a challenge to play and yet such a interesting like side of myself that i didn't even realize i i could be
1: So uh, all right, so we're uh, everybody's talking about being the face or at least um, the, there's a couple different types of faces. There, there are folks that like to be in the spotlight and bask in it. And there, there are folks that like to be the face because they take the story to interesting places. Uh, I know that it's kind of a spectrum. Where do you find yourself on that spectrum? Actually, maybe that was a leading question.
4: Um, maybe, <laughs> um, I don't know where this fits in on the spectrum, but I would say I probably end up being one of the faces, not just because I can't shut up, but also because I, um, tend to have a lot of story structure going on in my head. So I'm over here, like trying to envision where the DM is going to go, um, where the whole party might be going, like how do, how, how are, I'm always thinking about what our story is saying. And so I'm over here trying to like, not just do something fun and kooky, but I'm trying to tell a well-rounded story always. And that might stem from the fact that we have a podcast that we are serializing, that we're trying to, um, that we have a consistent audience for. um, So we don't necessarily want to just go on hijinks. We want to have a point. (laughs) Um, Not that you have to have a point in D&D or that you don't have to have a point, but at our table, we try to. So I, I think me and honestly, the rest of the party um, sitting down, all, all try to be in the same world, telling the same story. And we focus on, on listening to each other to do that.
0: I think that's really interesting, Rebecca, because you almost have to think of it um, almost, it's a, it's a little bit of a switch probably in your head, right? Because you've got to think of it more as, a, as an entertainment product you know, um, like, you're not just consuming it as like a, as like a, just a run of the mill <laughs> D&D player, like, like, you kind of have to have a little bit more intention behind it. Um, not unlike that we do when we're structuring games for kids or, or therapeutic purposes, a um, little bit different, but you kind of, uh, you must kind of almost feel um, like you've got this silent watcher, <laughs> you know, kind of like taking in everything and in critiquing or whatever. Um, I think that's really, really interesting. How did you guys come up with um, the premise for your story?
4: Well, I think um, it kind of grew organically. Uh, we were playing together without producing it for a while and um, our DM built this world that he wanted us to play in and and very organically all of us decided, yeah, let's just do this. and. Every individual at the table, there are five of us, um, brought our favorite things about d and and TTRPGs, like not just our favorite content to consume, but what are our favorite things about playing and what do we like most about consuming this kind of content and and how can we synthesize that and make that the way we play at a table. And then we had lots of practice. We played for a year without recording um, a single minute <laughs> um, in, the, in that world, or in a world, and with those rules so that we could really get used to it. But essentially, it's, you know, how do we, how, it, they're all simple D&D or TTRPG rules, right? Like, live in the moment, trust your DM, um, God, there's a, the list could go on and on, right? Um, say yes to everybody, you know, don't um, criticize players in character for what they've done in character, um, or out of character for what they've done in character, you know? Um, pull the lever as we like to say in the D D club um, pull that lever all the time and while those are all very standard rules for D, in practice it's definitely difficult to say hey i noticed like i wasn't pulling that lever because i was nervous about my care about the choices we were making and i apologize for that let's let's make sure we do that in the future like let's trust our dm not to to, to also be looking out for us to tell the best story. So so that's kind of how we developed it, um, just by f- identifying our favorite things about playing and trying to capture that for others. But you do have to listen a little bit differently when you're playing. I mean, it, I'm, we're all exhausted by the time we finish a session because um, you're simultaneously listening for what the DM is saying and what your party members are saying and how they're planning. But you're also thinking two steps ahead of how you're going to use what they're saying, whether they're saying it to you or to somebody else, how you're going to use that to um, move the story forward and to um, either make a joke or um, do something silly or do something serious, right? You know, if, if somebody's talking to somebody else in the corner about lying to somebody, your character might not have heard that, but how can you, as a player, know that that person is lying and without identifying that they're that you know that they're lying because you were listening at a table, how do you, as a character, bring to light that something wrong happened when you weren't around for that? And I think that's a multi-level, like, <laughs> table playing that you can kind of develop that really ha- you can't do with any other game other than a tabletop role playing game.
0: I love that. I love that. It's um. Uh, it was, it was just making me think that you and your team, um, working on, um, on your, on your podcast, you guys must have to, or you must have found that you've like, I guess I should ask it as a question. Have you found that you have, uh, that it strengthened your friendships, um, in real life, you know, um, having to be so, uh, sort of conscious of, of these skills and these things that you're trying to bring forward with intention.
4: Um, it has absolutely strengthened um, our relationships with each other. I wouldn't necessarily say friendships because it's more of a family, you know, your fights are harder, your, your, um, your joys are harder. Um, just like you would um, fight with a sibling, you would fight with these people, you know, because you, you are all coming from the same place, you all love the same things, you all agree on the same things, so while yes, absolutely, it's, we are all incredible friends, I think it's also just made us a family. Um, because we can really be completely open and honest with everyone and sometimes sometimes that's that's almost more than you can be with your best friend
0: and i love that that's so awesome um it made me think too, Allie, of our game with our moms (laughs) i
3: I know i miss that so much i mentioned it to my mother the other day actually and her face like lit up and i was like we got to get it going again because I think she really enjoyed that
0: yeah i think it well because we're actually going to run an event in nine Me's um in a couple of months so we could probably do some leading up to it but um yeah, for the audience sake awesome. like, do you want to kind of tell people what we did
3: uh yeah um so uh kristen and i kind of came up with this idea for um a D game with our moms um we're we're cousins so our uh Our moms are actually not related but are basically uh married into the same family um and uh we called it magical girls because they were all uh students at a magical college that i call the nine maze academy um and every week every week every other week we would have um special guests which were all of the uh like uh my mom or kristen's mother's friends uh and it was kind of a, a real challenge to like throw um, a bunch of like 60 to 70 year old women uh, character sheets and try to explain like how to be a paladin or how to be a warlock to them. Uh, but they were all just so enthusiastic and they, I think each one of them has told me that they cannot wait to come back and do it again uh, because they had so much fun and it never occurred to them that this could be like a hobby that they have. Um one of my my favorite like moments is uh I went on we I went on vacation. We had a family vacation um at the very beginning of 2020. And my mom was like, Can you bring your your players handbook so that we can go over my character and I can learn more about all of the spells she had to cast? She's playing a druid. Um and it was just like such an amazing moment where I was like, I never thought that like my parents always thought that my like hobbies and my uh my my job pretty much was kind of like a a little bit of like a flight of fancy and to hear her like enjoying playing this character and like like sending me messages about like wanting to learn more about this particular thing that druids can do and like coming up with a backstory just it was just amazing. Um I really miss running that and I'm really excited that we're gonna be doing like an event because I get to use all the lore for uh nine maze that I never actually got to bring up. (laughs)
0: I love that.
2: That is so wholesome. Like <laughs> that just makes me happy to, to hear it that. It really That's is. So, it was so, so wholesome.
0: <laughs> it was just like the
3: cutest thing.
0: Yeah, it was. It was. It was kind of the best. And and I know that, like at the start of of every episode, because we did we did video of them, um, and every time we had a guest. Uh every single one of them said to me, Well, I don't think I'm creative enough to do this. I'm really worried that I'm not gonna be creative enough. Um, or I'm not smart enough. That was the other thing. And I, I think that, that uh you know, being able to show people uh what tabletop RPGs um can do and it's not scary and it's not, you know, it's it's not just for uh the guys in the basement, but like, yeah, sixty-five-year-old women can play too and actually uh, you know, understand and, and, and enjoy it and, and build stories together. And, and it really did strengthen our, our friendships as well.
3: It really did. It was, it was such an amazing experience. Um, I've, I mean, I've played with new players all the time from the ages of like six to 65. Um, and no matter what, there's always that moment, uh, when like it suddenly clicks for them, what they're doing and how to do it. And that like, you can kind of see it on their faces, like the moment dawns where they're like, I can do anything, like whatever I say I can do is is like, that's one of my great joys as a GM, uh, being able to like watch that in players and, and like see them open up and really kind of become themselves.
4: How do you, um, how, I mean, this could be Ali or Kristen um, or anyone really, How do you go about building out your, your worlds and your games when you're playing with such, um, large age ranges, right? So, I mean, not necessarily all at once, but how would a game for a group of six-year-olds differ from that of a group of 60-year-olds, you know, do you change the rule set?
3: Uh, so for the most part, um, I try to, so I try to play games that are more tailored to the people that I'm playing with um so like for example like first like six to ten year olds I often play No Thank You Evil which is um a very basic role-playing game that I I love it so much um and it's kind of a little bit silly and uh the kids can really have a great time I mean I think it's actually a game for any age as long as you have players who are willing to really like dig into that like childhood pretend game um and uh I mean, I think as a GM, I'm very, uh, when I create worlds, I tend to often go off of what the players tell me that they want to play. Like for example, I run a game for a bunch of teens uh, through Mastermind um, and I've known these kids for quite a while um, since many of them were like under 10 and now they're all hitting like 15, 16 and I can't believe it. Um, But when we were, when I was creating this game, I went into it saying, um, okay guys, like tell me, what uh tell me about the characters you want to play and they would tell me about these characters and as they were going i was asking them things like one of, one character wanted to play uh, a half elf ranger and i was like how does the world look at half elves like what what a what is what a, a typical half elf walks into like a tavern what do people think of him and he was like i think that half elves are really mistrusted because i don't think that elves and humans get along and i was like excellent this means that in this world elves and humans don't get along they they're they just don't get along um and it kind of it kind of continued to go like that you know the wood elf uh player told me about how like her family lived in a cave and they were necromancers and i was like great what elves tend to be necromancers they're very in touch with all kinds of nature including death um the dragonborn player um wanted to come from a big family and i was like great now all of the dragonborn live in these huge clans they're all of their villages are like a single family of dragonborns and family is super super important to them uh so i think with any with any group of people i think the important thing is to give your players like a a hook into the setting and let them like as a gm don't be afraid to let the players tell you what the world is like um, because it gets them immediately involved and involved engaged players are players that will really want to stay engaged. Um, with, with Nine Maze and the world that I created for that, um, that was a little more, uh, because I was playing with so many people who have never done any sort of role playing game and didn't really like get a lot of it, I came up with the broad strokes of the world. Um, and the when we went to create characters, I, I believe we filmed it. Um, I came in and I unrolled this massive map that I had drawn um, with, all of these like uh i drew like different areas and i was like okay guys like up here uh in the north is a big empire and it's full of half elves down here is is this forest this is where the elves live over here is like this town uh with the magic academy that you're going to so this is what the town is like tell me about your characters and um kristen's mom wanted to play a i believe it was a triton um you know like a like an aquatic human uh, and so I was like, great, tell me where you like point to the map where you live. Let's make a, a village of Triton or like, like how do, how does your family get along with like the, uh, the mermaids? And she came up with this whole thing where she was adopted. She was found like in the surf as a child and adopted into this human family. And uh, you know, I think, like I said, that giving the players and the ability to just like, uh, put themselves on the map and define what their society is like. I think it, it immediately breeds a kind of um, familiarity with the world because they created it and they, they know and they're not just being told in an info dump. Um, so uh, so yeah, so that that would be how I usually make worlds. I usually like to let the players kind of help me create what things look like um with with little kids in particular i usually just take a blank map and i say okay like where on the world are is like the lich lord with his undead horde and they would tell me where it is and i'd put a big circle on the map and say undead like lich guy and then i'd be like okay where do the dragons live like is there a volcano over here where are the dwarves digging and what are they finding and again that just especially with kids it gives them a buy-in to the world because some kids have trouble paying attention. Some kids have trouble remembering things and it's good to give them something that they, when you create something, I feel like it automatically sticks in your head. So doing that, I think is, is just, again, I've rambled for a bunch about this, but um, giving the players a buy-in I think is the important thing when creating a world. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I think definitely for younger kids, uh, some modified um, and simplifying um, of, of the rules is definitely, definitely helpful. Um, that's why we do love No Thank You Evil. Golden Sky Stories
3: is another really fun yes, one. Yes, that is what I forgot to mention too. Yes, I usually simplify <laughs> the rules. <laughs> um, when I have new players or when I have um, younger players, I try to simplify the rules, but then introduce the more complex stuff bit by bit so that they kind of understand what they're dealing with before i introduce something else um awesome. which i think works for every every level of play um especially if or, or i'll encourage people to maybe not play a really complex class their first time and just go to a uh a, a bit of an easier class um with D, like i mean i i typically think of fifth edition to be A much simpler game than some of the other editions or some of the other ones. I'm a big like mechanics person. I love like twiddly little mechanics but I also understand that not everyone is like that and some people just want to have fun and not pay attention to the mechanics. So it also helps to know your players in that respect too.
0: Yeah, we developed a, a therapeutic tabletop RPG for kids called Quest. Um, and that also has some, some pretty, a very much more simplified character sheet. One of the most fun things that I think that we did was the, the, the character sheet for the youngest players. Um, they were playing animals. Um, <clears throat> and so they got to already have in their inventory um, very kind of silly little things that animals might kind of have an affinity for. So like buttons or like pieces of fluff. Um, so that they can kind of use that creatively um, within their stories. And it, it's amazing. You know, I think kids especially are pretty creative with the way that they're gonna surprise you no matter what. Um, I think that, you know, kids are always just astounding at uh, their boundless <laughs> um, <laughs> creativity. Um, so yeah, giving them little bits of things that, that then could inspire them to, to do more. Um, was probably more of the focus than the you know the rules and the the character sheet itself, um, and then playing with yeah older people. Um, it it it, it kind. I don't think that Allie. I know one thing that you did give us was some uh, some sort of like physical tactile things that we could use. Is that I thought were were really helpful.
3: Yeah, yeah. I made um I made spell cards. I made um cards for well I didn't make them. I I found them online, but um. Uh, little like boxes out of paper that i made and colored especially for them that they, they could hide all of their spells in and they had uh, equipment packs um and i tried to do a lot of like tactile stuff because again it helps when you have like when you you're looking in front of you and you say well how many like health potions do i have and you know that you have three because you have three little bottles in front of you that mark that say health potion on them um because like, I mean, one of the skills of a role player is taking notes. Not everyone likes to take notes. And I also wanted to make sure that it was as simple as possible um, for people who might not be used to that kind
4: of thing. Well, even if you use something like an online tracker like D&D Beyond or something, if you're already not that comfortable with technology to, to begin with, like you're a you know, 60, 70 year old woman I can imagine having that tactile object is definitely easier than looking at D and D Beyond and trying to navigate to your equipment.
3: Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even I get sometimes confused by D and D Beyond. So, and I have played games all my life. So, yeah, trying to explain that to someone who isn't used to that kind of like um, technology and stuff is is quite. Um, well, it's it's a challenge. And again, like I said, I wanted to make sure it was as easy as possible for them. And I, I also just I love those little tactile things myself. Um, uh, I, had, I had made these little um, mini notebooks for them where they could take notes inside of it. And it also had their character sheet in it, too. So they had it all in one place. Um, it was just it was very fun. It was fun to, like, pour all of my dice out on the table and just say, OK, pick your dice. And they would just go through the dice and pick out sets that they wanted, or they'd pick out individual ones. Um, I I went to, uh, to Gen Con and bought my mother like 12 sets of dice. And she, she keeps them upstairs in her jewelry box because she loves them so much. Um, and that was also just such a, such an interesting like moment where I brought all this stuff and she's like, all of these dice are mine. And I was like, yes, they're all yours. And she was like, well, I can't take all of them. And I was like, I'll keep some of them, but they're still yours if you want to use them. Um, uh, introducing her to that pastime of mine of being a dice goblin is also one of my greatest achievements as a daughter. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think that there are there, and I know that the other times that we have run games for for the boomers, we call them the boomer games. It, they they actually self named them, so it wasn't wasn't mean spirited. Um, but uh, but they uh, we tend to have the dungeon master. Um, in a Zoom call and they're the ones kind of controlling um, some of the, t- most of the tech uh, so that they, the players can just focus on on playing. And we've used that strategy with families and kids as well. Um, we've also designed, uh, we've used tabletop, tenets of tabletop role-playing games to design leadership training um, for, for corporations. And uh, similarly, um, they kind of get, a, they get a character sheet that's kind of pre-done uh, in a lot of ways, um, if you know, if it's more, the focus is more on the learning um, than uh, than the you know the playing. Um, but we do uh, let them choose, uh, you know, some different things about that so that they can can have a stake in in the game as well. I know Kelly, you're working on a game right now for kids as well. Um, I'm wondering about like theories about how how it differs when you're designing a game um, from your perspective.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because um, you know kids are great play testers because they'll tell you exactly uh, what is good and what is bad <laughs> and what they think, um, which which is extremely helpful, right? When you're trying to to do uh, user testing, which we've been doing with families, um, so yeah, you know it really depends developmentally on how old the kids are, uh, but you know keeping things streamlined and not kind of weighing things down really is good practice for anyone. Um, uh, You know, when you're you're sort of teaching how to play a game, but for kids, especially uh, getting to that fun and getting to um, you know what is good about this experience and why do I want to come back to it uh, is a really great way to think about it, right? What's that, as we say in game design, 30 seconds of fun. Uh, and I'm a big fan too, uh, Kristen, as, as you just brought up of pre-made character sheets. This is something I've learned over time, um, is that you know if I'm trying to introduce people to say d and uh, just having something that is like, here is a thing with some numbers on it. Don't worry what those mean. Don't worry about, um, You know, really anything except for uh, uh, kind of being in this scenario, right? Uh, Because it can be very fiddly. And, and, you know, I think one of the worst things a game can ask someone to do is to decide what their... sort of stats and character builds and whatnot are when those things don't make sense because you don't have any context for it. And, uh, you know, there's really no way, I think, to turn people off faster than to be like, okay, let's like do some math now because, you know, most people, uh, some people are like, yes, um, but, you know, most people, um, you know, especially after, uh, like we're doing a fun narrative experience, uh, you know, try role playing for the first time. <laughs> that might not be their jam.
4: I mean, does anybody like the first character they've ever made for the same reasons? <laughs> yeah yeah
2: exactly.
3: so mechanically <laughs> bad yeah, it's like, oh, but i friend. love her so much
4: <laughs>
2: just optimized terribly man
3: <laughs> really like who plays a bard for their first character i do that's who. <laughs> oh
2: i did that too i did that too but see here's the beautiful thing it's like knowing you know kind of who you are it's like now knowing that uh i can't play low charisma characters it's like well i yeah kind of role player i was
3: exactly i think i think first characters are very telling for a lot of gamers like you can kind of tell what kind of person they are or who they want to be really by looking at their first character
2: yes absolutely although you know mechanically i had no idea what i was doing so i took like all the weirdest stuff and was like i guess i can sing at people uh that seems to be working out for (laughs) me so
3: yeah just to just strum the (laughs) lute
4: I think I was here, I think, and I could be remembering this wrong, but I think I, when I first started playing D&D, I heard somebody say, you know, men create characters for what other people will think of them. And women create who they want, who they wish they were <laughs> um, in a character. So um, it's like the internal versus the external that uh, this so is the fact that Ali and Kelly, you built bards who felt very tied to yourself. So that's who you wanted to be. I, of course, built a fighter. Um, <laughs> Who was like angry all Nothing the time? Nothing wrong with a fighter.
3: <laughs> fighters are the backbone of D anD D. We need fighters because <laughs> otherwise, everyone's going to be a bard, and you know that a bard can't take a hit.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> was it cathartic to play a a, a strong kind of beat 'em up character?
4: Um, you know, it was like it was cathartic to play um, a character who kind of um, had ownership over the space, I think is how I is how like I built it originally um, and could affect change. (laughs) Um, Had an impact, I felt, Um, but I didn't love that character because many other people, mechanically terrible. (laughs) It might have affected how I feel about fighters actually moving forward. (laughs) It might be be one of the reasons I tend to not like them very much is because it was so mechanically bad.
3: (laughs) I'm sure you'll go back to it sometime. I mean, I can understand that. I played uh, played a cleric for my second character and hated it so much because I picked like the worst possible God combination. Um, and I, I didn't play one in for like literally 10 years. So I totally understand that you can get really burnt by characters sometimes.
4: Absolutely. We do, um, we used to do in our club, um, on this app, build characters for people. And it was always, I was, it was fun. I used to build it with Shane, who's down, down below and our friend Russell and, it would always be funny because Russell would be there like helping the mechanics of it he'd be like no no this is what you want for your stats and and they'd be like but I really want to do this and I'm I'm over here like in the corner like oh well if you want to do that that's fine you want to be a um <laughs> um a not dexterous rogue sure be a clumsy rogue <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever I think that some
3: people are so afraid of that like and and I think it's like it's definitely like the the idea of like men build characters that they mechanically want people to like view them as and women want to make a character that like represents them in some way um but like the the fight between like crunch and fluff is like it took me a long time to get out of that because i started on with third edition D, which was a extremely crunchy system uh and it took me a long time to move past like taking optimal feats and making like the perfect skill choices and agonizing over where i'm going to put my like attribute bonuses um to just being like nope i'm my character is not mechanically perfect but i really like i like them and i want to keep playing them and it doesn't really matter that i can't do a ton of damage uh because i have friends in this party who will do the damage for me and i can sit back and help them with other things Uh, which i think a lot of people kind of they they don't really think about that when they're first starting to play. I think it's something that comes with having played a bunch of characters and realizing how much fun you can have when you don't pay attention to mechanics. Well
0: I was just thinking like that would actually be a really interesting thing to explore, right? Like you're a you're a character that's supposed to be like sneaky and dexterous and yet you're just a total klutz. That could be a lot of fun. Yeah it is! <laughs> Yeah, I, I
4: like that a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's the role playing of it, right? So it's, it's it, and, and other stats are better. So even if you're a clumsy rogue, you do some other things really well. And when you succeed at doing something that's dexterous and you're cl- not good at it, that's, that's a richer story to I me.
3: agree. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, <laughs> uh, I, have any of you ever played Mouse Guard?
0: Uh, Sarah was here in the audience. She's not here anymore.
3: Oh, too bad. I love Mask Guard. Um, Mouse Guard is built off of Burning Wheel. Um, but uh, so it has this system where um, when you have to have a certain number of passes and fails on your skill checks to like gain skill experience. And I really love that system because it means that when you start out, like your character isn't that great um especially if you're playing with mouse card, you can play like a like a newbie or a veteran or like someone who's right in the middle and um when i played it we the we had three players and the gm and we we players decided we were going to do like one of each just to try out each of the mechanics and um my husband was playing the veteran and like the there was this other guy who's playing like the newbie and he kept he failed like every skill check he did because he had no skills he he started off with like a whole lot of like bravery but no skills but he kept gaining skill points like every other scene because he would fail at all of them and then it'd be like okay i reached three failures in this thing i go up a point and then he started succeeding at things and that helped him too and it it's such an interesting way to look at a character because it's, it was more fun for him to fail then because he was gaining experience from the failure than it was for, like, the guy who was really great at sword fighting. He was like, there's no way I'm ever going to go be a better sword fighter than this. It's going to take a lot of bad luck for me to, like, fail at sword fighting and realize what I did wrong and fix it in order to gain that skill. And that that's something I think is missing in a lot of um, kind of more, like, I guess, RPGs that want to... Uh, only want you to get better and don't want you to fail ever, um, which I would kind of count D in that. Um, it's all about the the actual thing. But I I'm a proponent of failure. I think that failure is important. Um, I love the fail forward role of like you know no, even if you fail you still advance the story. It doesn't block you off from anything. It just makes things more interesting, which is I think exactly what a failure should do. One hundred
4: percent. One of our. Um... Tenants for the um, for the way we play is lean into failures um, because oftentimes it's, it's a better story um, And and I do love what you were talking about Ali because you it does really like go without a dodge Like you learn from your mis- learn more from your mistakes So
0: absolutely. Yeah, I have to ask you Rebecca is pull the lever a reference to emperor's new groove
4: um, it could be, but it's not actually. Um, yeah, the one of the early, early, a year and a half ago, one of the early games that we played in um, the club D and D on Clubhouse. Um, one of the earliest games we played live, like like in our club. We made that big joke, there was, a, there was a monster in a cage and there was a lever to pull to let the monster out. And, and it was just that, that lean into failure, that, that say yes moment and everyone just around the table or the virtual table kept saying, you know, pull the lever and it's become something that I know our table says a lot. And I think our club honestly says all the time now, just pull the lever, say yes. Um, um, but it easily could be an Emperor's New Groove um, tie in.
0: Oh, that's so funny. Well, I want to say bye to Kelly. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, all. Great oh, talk. Bye, Kelly. Yeah, we're wrapping up you. in a second here, anyways. Um, all right. See you all. Cheers. Have a night. good night. Nice. Uh, so, pull the lever in Emperor's New Groove is with um, uh it's, it's a reference to and She goes, she says, pull the lever. <laughs> Wrong lever. Like, and then it, right, and then Gronk, and they go down the whole like slide thing. I don't know. I always loved that movie. <laughs> you said pull the
3: lever, and that's all I could hear in my head was like, pull the lever. That's where I went to <laughs> But I, I love that it became like kind of a catchphrase and like a almost like a rallying point of just nope, like do it, just take the risk and and see what happens. Hundred
0: percent. I love it. Well, anything else, John, that you wanted to, like, pose to us as a question before we wrap up?
1: Well, yeah, I got one thing. So, yeah, a lot of people talk about combat and roleplay in your games as two different sides of the game. Do you guys agree or disagree? This kind of splits players off into a couple camps on in, in TTRPGs.
3: I love combat as a player, but I hate it as a GM. And that's one of my big failings as a GM is that I will go out of my way to avoid combat sometimes. And I have to like force myself to put in fights. And the way that I've found that makes it more interesting is that I've cut out like random fight encounters entirely. And I just go for like the big, awesome, like set piece fights, Um, sometimes with like a big crowd of people, sometimes with like a single big boss that is like really kitted out to do some really cool stuff um and it becomes in in a lot of my games it becomes like that those fights become like the 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 anchor points of each like plot arc they know they're gonna have to fight the dragon at the end of this arc because they know that the mountain they're climbing up has the dragon and that dragon fight took like four sessions and in the end they're like we're never fighting a dragon again not because they hated the fight but because they got so emotionally attached to the dragon. That they can't bear the the characters can't bear to fight another dragon, um, to the point that I tried to throw another dragon at them and they married it. So um, that was how. Yeah, it's one of my favorite moments. Um, just they married the dragon. Well, one character married the dragon, but basically the whole party did. It was great. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I think I. I mean, I I I love
0: both obviously it's always fun to kill things you know but um uh but like we're we're playing Wild Beyond the Witchlight right now right and um and i i am loving the the role play um and the problem solving and and kind of leaning towards um you know using that as as a as a surrogate for um a lot of things that could have been you know fights i've i've found a lot of having a lot of fun with that and i think even like when we did play the Nine Maze Academy with our moms um there we actually accidentally avoided a lot of fights um by uh by problem solving and working together. I, I do think that women in general um I think we tend to talk a little bit more. Um and and that might help us lean towards um towards that. But I don't want to speak for for all of, all of all of women kind, but <laughs> <laughs> that's just my immediate thinking.
4: Yeah, I would say um I enjoy, well, one, Kristen, to your point, my table, I'm the only woman at my table, and um, our men talk a lot, so (laughs) I'm not alone in that. Um, We all talk a lot, but I think, um, and this might just be by virtue of the table I'm at and the the way we're telling our story, but, I enjoy both equally because our combat is so compressed. It's very, very short. Our DM is really good about not keeping us in combat for too long without having something else happen. And that's nice, um, mainly because he's listened to us enough to know that that's not really where our goals are. We're not really the type that's going to fight for the sake of fighting. We often fight with a secondary, with a main you know, goal in mind, and the fight is secondary. So. That allows me to enjoy combat a little bit more, I think, um, and I like using spells, I'm a spellcaster, so I have a ton of fun just casting a bunch of spells, so it's hard not to like combat when you do that, um, but I do um, really love RRP at my table, just kind of being able to problem solve together, but also tell each other jokes in character and just kind of um, embody a different person for a little bit.
1: I think there are some classes that are easier to role play during combat than others, such as you know the the bard is a good example of that or maybe an illusion wizard like you get a lot of freedom during combat to to show your personality because your your spells and your abilities have such a flexibility to them. Anybody else notice that and do you do you find yourself role playing during combat just as much as during say in a tavern?
3: i find um the the table that i play with on like a weekly basis the one i'm a player um we we also kind of i mean i Mm -hmm. kind of like to what rebecca was saying um we we don't fight like just to fight we fight because like it's something that has to be done um and uh we have a lot of fun during combat because we're all we're fairly high level playing pathfinder 1a and we're all in like the 18 to 19 level range uh, we have mythic power so our fights are usually explosively fast and we do tons and tons of damage over the course of like six to seven rounds um, so it's very quick but we have a lot of fun like just cheering each other on like our roles are always open at the table so we always know like when someone crit and we have a very very bad habit of like critically failing at exactly the wrong time um, and the having the to... right time yes <laughs> and having to pull each other out of like difficult situations or you know our our war cleric is is getting um like beaten up because he's our our tank and the other uh the oracle has to run over and heal him and maybe not cast this big explosive like really powerful spell at the boss that we really need to cast at him um so we do a lot of like we we try to play our our characters as much as possible when we're in combat we don't we don't go to the mechanics side of it. We stay pretty much in character, and um, I think that's like, I think that's kind of how you have to do it. I think it's sometimes it's more important that your character does something that is like what they would do, and not necessarily what's mechanically best for them to do, uh, because it kind of goes back to that whole, you know, um, like the role playing part is why we're here. That's that's what we're playing this game for. We're not playing it to get the highest number. We're playing it to do cool stuff. Um, And, uh, and yeah, I think that's, that's important.
4: Our DM is very generous with, um, us role playing during combat. So we're often like yelling at each other in character, um, while we're in the middle of a combat session or, or, you know, trying to convince the person fighting us to stop fighting us. So we do a lot of role play in our combat.
3: Yeah. Our DM stopped throwing things that can talk at us because we just kept talking our way out of combat. (laughs) <laughs> we make friends with too many people
4: sometimes our dm has to put on some roadblocks and say no this guy is not gonna listen to you <laughs> right yeah
3: and what it's and it's funny because that happens to me as a gm too like the teens that i play with try to talk their way out of they complain about not having combat and then i throw combat at them and they're like let's talk our way out of this combat and i'm like what do you guys want like if you want to talk your way out of combat, that's fine. But like, give me, give me a sign, please, that you don't want to have this combat or you do whatever it is.
4: It's an interesting dynamic, right? Because you want to do your cool spells, but you also don't want to die. So right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're like, ah, what if my character dies? Maybe I shouldn't fight, but you also want to do things. So it's it's definitely a balance.
3: Yeah. And like, it kind of comes down to like we said before, like trusting your DM, like trust your DM to, not like ruin the story just because like maybe there was a bad role like trust your dm to tell a good story and to be like a partner in this and not necessarily like the antagonist you know like dms are often put in that antagonist role um which i think is a little unfair because they're another player like yeah they're they're in charge of the story but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're against you all the time um and we have a lot of trust for our GM and I know that the the players I play with also trust me as a GM but there is like that moment where you're like wait a second what if we die maybe we shouldn't be fighting this maybe we should like try to talk our way out of it and uh that moment I it's you always see it on the GM's face where they're just like are you kidding me like you can't you can't adopt another enemy this is like the fourth time it's happened please stop like I'm running out of bad guys to throw at you
0: Awesome. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up, right, John? Um, but I wanted to uh, give Rebecca a chance to give a shout out for her um, podcast so we can all go tune in.
4: Oh, that's so kind of you. Yeah. So we're, I play, I play, um, our podcast is called Venture Forth, a D&D podcast, and you can find it anywhere podcasts are available or, Uh, on every social media site as Venture Forth D&D we are about to hop onto an Instagram live right now because we hit our anniversary today so (laughs) congratulations thank you we've had a year of recording as of March 16th so um, I'm shocked by how many D&D podcasts also have an anniversary (laughs) at the same time it's like we all decided to start podcasts regardless of the year in March
0: (laughs) pandemic Sorry, I was clapping.
4: I was clapping and and someone chose that term to be really excited about Aww. something. All good. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah,
0: awesome, all right. Yeah, I can't wait to check it out. And Allie, I don't know, what do you have to plug?
3: Uh, I just mastermind, Eagle's I guess. Eagle's claw, um, lady. Eagle's claw, no, I know. That's <laughs> what I was going to, towards. Um, so uh, if uh, if you have... Um, I guess children or teens, um, or you yourself, really love uh, the the magic school type of uh, story. Um, uh, April sixteenth, uh, Mastermind is running a um, an e- what we call the Eagle's Claw American School of Magic. Um, it is uh, inspired by many different kinds of uh, magical schools all across fiction, uh, and it is uh, a whole like a one day event where there's going to be story and uh classes to take um there's going to be um adventures we're running D games during that time um it's a whole kind of uh really fun event it kicks off uh eagle's claw week which is the week uh, after that is going to be a full week of D adventures uh with some of our gms and then uh weekly games as well leading up to uh quarterly big events where big story stuff happens so if you want to be a part of the story um you should join eagles claw uh we're also planning on doing something very similar to that like we said before with um the nine maze academy of uh magical arts um which is a very homebrew version of uh like a magical school um set in a world full of magic and uh the arcane and um having lots of mystery with that too so if you are uh, a big fan of like the magicians um or uh harry potter or um really any other kind of kind of like magical um like the arcane series we're kind of taking some steampunk stuff from that um if you like that kind of stuff um you can uh come find mastermind i guess and uh come join the academy and uh have fun with us um other than that, I mean, all of our GMs are amazing. John is amazing. I have to shout him out. Um, and uh, yeah, come play games with us because this is what we do.
0: Yeah, John, do you have any open tables right now or open seats?
1: Yeah, I uh, I have a few open campaigns. I mean, i'm I'm willing to take I'm willing to take on plenty of players. I have several campaigns that I run with Mastermind. Zombies uh, feature heavily in like three of them. <laughs> and I guess I'm a big fan of the undead and doing things with them. And I mean, you can you can find me on MastermindAdventures.com. And uh, just hey, if you want to come play, let me know. Awesome!
0: And happy Women's History Month, everybody! Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming out, everybody.
0: Have a good night, everybody. Cheers! Thank you. See you night. Good night, everyone.
2: Good thanks night.